0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 195 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing intentionality as it relates to our eating choices, as well as how intentional choices every single day, not drastic ones, incremental ones, incremental but intentional choices every single day, can help us change the way we look and feel about our bodies. Today, I am speaking with Sarah Stites. Sarah is the founder of the audio-based app Wavelength, and you'll hear Sarah talk about today her journey towards mindfulness as it relates to her body image. But she created Wavelength to go beyond the traditional calorie counting and to go towards meaningful habit tracking so that we can ditch dieting and build healthier habits for the long haul. Before we get into my conversation with Sarah, let's get this week's sponsor, out of the way so we can enjoy easy breezy ad free listening for the duration of the episode this week's episode is sponsored by quince traditional luxury retailers add markup after markup through middlemen and the old way of doing things is full of financial and environmental waste Quince has been a game changer for my wardrobe and home, and that's because Quince cuts out the excess. They eliminate excess packaging and unnecessary shipping around the globe, and they only partner with factories committed to sustainability. Quince is building the next Amazon, but better. Try Quince today and get free shipping and 365-day free returns. Just go to onequince.com sustainable. Many collections sell out immediately, so move quick. That's O-N-E-Q-U-I-N-C-E dot forward slash sustainable. Sarah, I am so excited to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing pretty well this morning. How are you, Stephanie? I'm great. I'm still waking up. It's a little bit early as per, you know, our recording time, but um, <laughs> get it done early and uh, I'm going to wake up as we talk, I think.
1: <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds perfect. I'll be right there with you.
0: So I'm really excited to talk to you about mindful eating, healing our body image issues. I've never covered this on 195 episodes of this podcast, so I'm actually really thrilled to finally cover these very important topics that are pervasive and follow us women from a young age. But before we get into all of that, I want to know all about you. Who are you? What do you do? And talk to me about how you found yourself finding a mindful eating app. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: Who am I? So as you said, I'm Sarah Stites. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, My parents are both scientists. um, And I live in Brooklyn with my husband and our two cats, Stanley and James, how did I find myself here? I can go, let me go all the way, all the way back. So at the age of 12, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, and then at the age of 15, I was diagnosed with prediabetes. And if if you know, you know, those things tend to go hand in hand. And then my junior year of high school, uh, I gained about 150 pounds. And this was just, I mean, I'm sure I don't have to tell you or anybody listening, like that's an extremely painful experience to go through as a teenager. I felt it was terrifying. It was honestly terrifying. And the advice that I was getting from the medical professionals I was working with, from most of the people around me was just like, just Manage this with diet, like get your diet under control. You'll lose the weight, you'll reverse your metabolic problems, you'll manage your PCOS symptoms. Uh, and I just, I like was trying. I was trying really hard. This was the thing that I wanted the most in the entire world. And I couldn't, I just could not do it. And I really felt like a failure. I felt like this was just a sign that I was a weak bad person. And it really, really like started to affect my core sense of self. Um, Fortunately, though, I mentioned that my parents are both scientists. My dad's an agronomist, which is like an agriculture scientist. My mom has a very similar journey with weight and body and health that I do. Um, And so she's obviously quite a bit quite a bit older than I am. But while I was going through this, she was unable to walk around the block and really like, I think looking, looking in the face of her own mortality, but she's got a PhD and a couple of master's degrees, one of which is in nutrition science. And she had actually managed to lose more than a hundred pounds a couple of times. And she started asking the question, like, okay, I'm not... I have a PhD. I have two advanced degrees. I've got a stressful, high powered job. Like, I'm not a person that struggles with self discipline in any other aspect of my life. Like, what is happening here? And she started asking the question not like, what should we be eating for perfect health, but instead, why do we eat? What are the things that govern our eating choices? Why? even though we know better intellectually are we drawn back to foods that don't promote health behaviors that don't get us where we want to go and she really she discovered a few things like there there are things about the foods that we're eating in our contemporary food culture that drive eating impulses that keep us kind of trapped in this cycle but there's also a lot going on from a neurological and an emotional perspective that keeps us trapped in this cycle as well and mindfulness is actually uh, one of the most powerful tools we have in interrupting this cycle. Um, so my mom's my mom is a brilliant scientist. She's not a communications person. I actually got my undergrad degree. It was kind of weird, but basically in a, in a science communications realm. And so we started working together on taking the research that she was seeing and Overlaying it onto our lived experiences. Uh, I lost about 107 or 150 pounds. She lost about 170 pounds. And this was about 15 years ago now. Um, and so we felt like we had this really like powerful understanding of what was happening in our relationships with food. And so we started to develop that into a curriculum together. Fast forward. Um, we now have an app. Uh, It's called Wavelength. And I'm sitting here talking to you, Stephanie.
0: (laughs) That's an incredible story, how you turned something so difficult, so painful, gaining 150 pounds in high school and coming up with a solution to help the rest of us who similarly struggle with our eating and our issues surrounding our bodies. And so- Wavelength, I've been using the app and it is so much different, so so much better than the conventional um <laughs> calorie counter. It's not a calorie counter at all. Can you just tell us first of all what Wavelength is, why you created it, and how it's different from all the other calorie counters out there? Yeah,
1: so so Wavelength is really the the culmination of all of this learning and research that we've been doing for the last 15 years. And it's an audio-based app. So every day you log in, you listen to an episode. We we say an episode. What we find is that people tend to binge the content a little bit because it's it's really interesting. Um, And then you get exercises throughout the day to kind of encourage both self-understanding and neurological change that helps you kind of interrupt the patterns that you've probably been engaging in for a lot of your life that are driving eating choices that you might not be happy with. And like you mentioned, it's it's not a calorie counter. When we set out on this journey, like one of the things that I really wanted for myself was to stop I looked around at my friends that weren't really struggling with this and I realized like the reason they were they weren't struggling with food and body because they were like really, really great at counting calories. <laughs> like that's not what was happening for them. It was easy for them. It was natural for them to stop when they were full, to gravitate toward foods that made them feel good. And I realized that the counting and tracking and obsessive restriction that I was doing was actually like making me obsessed with food. It was the, the dominant thought on my mind at all times. And so I felt like, oh my God, I, I need to unlearn this insanity, and really start to address the root cause of my cravings. And so that's what Wavelength is all about. It's not about like this sort of top-down approach where you're just trying to use willpower to count better and track better and be be better at being hungry, which is ultimately what dieting is about. It's about like really getting underneath the root causes and changing them so that you're not having the desires to eat, the compulsion to eat, however you characterize it, that was happening before. And to do that, you have to let go of what like diet culture tells us is the the path to health. You, you cannot white knuckle your way into that. You have to go sort of deep inside, do some deep self-reflection, really start to understand your patterns and behaviors. And so that's what Wavelength is about. It's about building self compassion and building self-understanding so that you can change the pattern rather than just like <laughs> trying
0: so hard to get better at restricting. Yeah. So much of what you said speaks to me. I- I know that for many of us listening and certainly for me, we follow conventional wisdom, which is if you want to lose weight, the calories you consume must be fewer than the calories you expend every day. That's what we're told. It's that simple. It's that black and white. Eat less, move more. Right. <laughs> right. Eat less, move more, eat less, move more. Oh my God. I like I actually
1: <laughs> it's amazing to me how present the emotional experience of this still is for me because I remember just like that just that mantra from my teenage years, eat less, move more. Like, Sarah, are you an idiot? It seems simple. What is wrong with you? But like to be that that's not where the science is today. We know that from even from a, a pure metabolic perspective let's say that like we were robots and we could do exactly what we set our minds to do uh, and execute on that with no problem, we know that it's not as simple as eat less, move more. We know that the different kinds of foods that we consume impact our metabolisms and our hormones differently. We process them differently. We know that every individual person is different and every circumstance is different. But then, of course, like nobody is a robot. Everybody is trying to do this in the real world where we have emotional eating impulses, where we're like... Like eating foods that are engineered in a lab to make us want more of them. If you want to get really mad, Google vanishing caloric density. Um, it, it, it's it's literally like a way. It's a it's a principle that a lot of these food companies use to make you feel like you haven't eaten at all, even when you've consumed many many calories. Um, and so we're just like living in this soup of things that are interfering with our relationship with food and that eat less move more mantra that seems like it should be so simple is actually like it's actually like a, a tyrant right that keeps us from understanding what's going on with us and making progress um and it's so hard to get that message out of our minds it's actually scary right because like it often feels like it's the thing that's standing between us and chaos like sarah if i don't count calories like aren't i aren't i going to be out of control and the answer is like no actually but it's it it can feel it can feel really terrifying to take that plunge
0: well you mentioned that the science no longer supports the eat less move more philosophy and something i learned on your app that i found interesting was that there's actually a lot of other factors that contribute to our Eating choices, our positive eating choices or our negative ones. So I guess my question here is, what else is important to consider? What other factors are there when we're considering, you know, what we decide to put into our mouths?
1: In my experience, you know, working with gosh, thousands of people now, is that the biggest factor that influences our eating choices is what I call uh what's what's called allostatic load, which is basically the A level of excitement or stress. And I say that in a neutral way because positive emotions create excitement and put stress on our nervous system. But it's basically the level of stress on our bodies and nervous systems. At any given time in the app, we call this, we refer to it as our deck of cards, but basically it's like, how well resourced are you at any given moment? Um, And as our nervous systems kind of ramp up and get excited, our brains look for ways to calm us down, to restore us to a more relaxed state. Cause we're not really like, our bodies are not really evolved to be all keyed up all the time, right? We've all heard about like burnout basically. And so food eating is this powerful powerful tool that our brains have to restore equilibrium to our nervous systems. It just calm it, it's really effective at calming us down. And from an evolutionary perspective like this makes all the sense in the world, right? Like we would want to be these like finely tuned food and eating machines that are like constantly driven to want to eat. Because if you don't have a drive to eat and you're living in a hunter-gatherer society without super ready access to calories, like you could imagine that that's not a genetic trait that's going to persist for very long. But when you plop us into contemporary society where we've got just an abundance of food steps away, especially when we were all quarantining at at home, literally just steps away. And we live in an environment where stressors tend to take slightly different form than they did for most of human history. Um, It's just this perfect storm for eating a lot um, and eating foods that are really great at restoring equilibrium to the nervous system. And so like I often say, Trying to change what you're eating or how much you're eating without addressing the neurological and emotional drives to eat is like jumping out of an airplane and then grabbing the parachute on your way down. It's so hard to make those changes first while you're still trapped in this like emotional eating cycle. And so that's like the first thing that we grapple with in wavelength is like how do we start from a place of self compassion and and I do want to I think it's important to touch Shame, um, Stephanie. But I, I'll, I'll move past that for now. But like starting from a place of self compassion, kind of understanding the role that food plays in our life as an emotional regulation mechanism. And this is this is true for everybody. This happens for everybody. And if you're like, well, I don't think of myself as an emotional eater, I, I guess I would challenge that a little bit because all of us are emotional eaters. It's an important part of like our our emotional regulation mechanism for most of us. Um, and so really understanding that leveling that out, um, and then looking at what and how much we're eating is sort of a, um, a critical thing to do, and and you can recognize this in your own life, right? Like you're doing great on a diet, you're excited about it in the beginning. You you're going full steam ahead. Maybe you've lost some weight, and then something stressful happens, and everything gets thrown out of whack. This is not because you suck; it's because <laughs> um, you're you're literally evolved to rely on food in those moments. And so, if unless you can kind of unhook that, it's very hard to make permanent progress. Mm.
0: You mentioned shame there, so let's just go there. Let's talk about how shame plays into the struggles of many women. I, I can say for myself personally that um, I have a healthy, I I enjoy having a healthy body weight. You wouldn't look at me and you wouldn't think that I have perseverating thoughts over food, but I do. And The majority of my thoughts throughout the day actually are the okay. If I eat this, then how long do I have to run this afternoon to burn it off? Or if I don't have my smoothie for breakfast, what am I going to have instead that's high in nutrients and low in calories? And, and so I'm always like, I feel like I'm on a I'm always balancing, you know, eating <laughs> versus maintaining the correct number of calories. And and shame does play into that because again, I'm not a robot and I'm not perfect and even despite my white knuckle grip on my diet and exercise, I slip up. And when I slip up, I feel incredibly out of control and incredibly um like like, worthless. Like, oh my gosh, I can't even control the Sour Patch kids I just ate. Like, why couldn't I just say no to those? I know intellectually they're bad for me. I know they're empty calories. Now I have to go run for like eight miles. What in your life, in your life and in your research, how have you found that shame spiral to play in?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, this is one of the most shocking things to me about the work that I do. I went into this and I thought, I'm, I'm making a product for people like me, like for people who have had a body that is that is like oppressed by our society, that has learned this deep shame from all these messages all around, and and people with a with a quote unquote healthy body weight or with 15 pounds to lose, like this isn't going to connect for them. And what I have learned is that like that is absolutely not true. That shame is present for everybody and this as as someone that had like lived in a big body this was shocking to me but but there's just no question about it if you are a person but especially if you are a woman that shame is just so present and this really is born, I think, from from a couple of things: is that we we love, I mean, as a society, we love nothing more than to moralize about people's bodies and their health, and we equate thinness with goodness in a way that is so pervasive that it's extremely difficult to recognize. It's it's like it's just the air we're breathing, it's the water that we're swimming in, um, and I think it's it's as with with systemic misogyny and systemic racism like you you start to see it and then you're like oh my god this is everywhere <laughs> like this is blowing my mind um and so that we do this with with health and with body like there's this belief that you are thin because you are good because you are disciplined, because you have good self-control. And so the alternative to be fat, to eat things, to care for your body poorly must mean you have a lesser soul. Your character is worse. And of course, what, what we've seen in the research now is that self-discipline, strength of character, these things have ex- literally nothing to do with the bodies that we've got. And and, and Stephanie, I. I I hesitate a little bit to say this, but it is true. Uh, Although I I find that people that have lived their whole lives in thin bodies don't like to hear this, but we don't don't do anything to deserve the bodies that we get. Like, it's not moral, it's luck. And we often feel like we need to keep this vice grip on our behaviors to maintain our bodies. But the fact of the matter is that like there are some people out there that are better at restriction, that are, that move more and eat less. But the fact is like, there's a lot of situational, genetic, economic, emotional factors that make them good at that, that are not about strength of character. Um, and so like, it, it sounds scary to say at first, but actually once you sort to of recognize like, wait a second, this is actually like largely outside of my control, it's very freeing. But just to bring it back around to shame, everybody's walking around with this like mantle of shame on them because women in particular have been told that like their worth is their body, whether you're thin or fat, whether you're on the right side alleged right side or wrong side of that line, like that fear, that shame is just like really born into you. But what we know from neuroscience is that there's just mounting evidence to suggest that shame actually inhibits. Our brains' abilities to create new behaviors, and there's like mostly the our understanding of why is mostly theoretical. But the dominant theory right now is that like shame's pretty resource intensive in the brain, and it's a really powerful belonging mechanism, um, which is like what our brains are concerned with almost above all things is social belonging, uh, and shame is really supposed to help us do that well. And so when we feel shame, our brains aren't like now's a great time to. Change my eating behaviors and develop a running habit. they're like,, ah, do exactly what we've always done because that's kept us alive thus far, and uh, it's really, really hard to to change when they're in that state and so how this like shows up in your lived experience, and I am sure that everyone listening and certainly I will like have experienced this, is when we feel shame it really crushes curiosity, right? Because the answer for why we're doing what we're doing is just like, well, it's it's because I'm bad, right? It's because I suck. So why did I eat that pan of brownies? Well, uh, because I'm a bad person with no self-discipline. It shuts down inquiry immediately. But if you can get underneath that shame and say like, well, I'm just a person in the world doing my best. Why did I eat this pan of brownies? A whole world of information opens up to you. Well, I had a really stressful day at work, uh, or I was didn't sleep well last night, or uh, turns out I get trapped in a sugar loop, and it is if it is available to me, I will eat all of it, um, and it's not moral valence. It's just biology. And you can start to really understand your patterns. Like, oh, it turns out every time I meet with this coworker, I have a really strong eating impulse. This person must stress me out a lot. Or like when I get fewer than six hours of sleep a night, the next day I'm going to have a rough eating day. Um, And you can start to like really look at these patterns and change them when you're not steeped in shame. You have to take baby steps and practice self-acceptance, practice self-compassion. And I have found that the best first baby step to take there is just you're normal. You're not extra screwed up. You're just regular screwed up. Everybody out there is going through this right now. Um, And that is just like a much easier place to start for eradicating shame. And and Stephanie, I'm curious, like, how does that land with you? Like if I'm like, okay, Stephanie, yeah. You feel this anxiety around food. you feel out of control with the sour patch kids like that's that's everybody like how does that feel to hear? it
0: feels I don't want to say i it feels good to hear that other people are struggling, but it does make me feel as though I'm less alone, knowing that this is a universal or nearly universal issue that most women in twenty twenty one America are going through. I will say from a minimalist perspective, I have found that perseverating over food and exercise is the opposite of minimalist, right? Because almost, I would say 85 to 90% of the time, I'm not patting myself on the back. <laughs> I'm, I'm berating myself for a bad choice. So for anybody out there listening who is going through the shame spiral, wondering why you can't get it together, why it seems as though everybody else has perfectly healthy relationships with food and their bodies and you just can't get it together, I would suggest to you putting the scale away. Like I started every morning well, I should back up and say I. At, there was one time in my life where I had two scales <laughs> right next to each other in the bathroom. One was the digital one and one was the one with, you know, the the hand what's that called does it analog like <laughs> like it moves and so I'd start the day on the digital clock and on the excuse me on the digital scale but I would never like what that said it was very definitive so then I'd get on the other one where there was some move movement some r- wiggle room and I just you know woke up one one day and I said to myself I have two scales I'm a minimalist and I'm spending my entire days worrying about food and feeling bad about myself like how and I, as a minimalist podcast host, allowing such negativity into my life from the first step off my bed every morning. That's not intentional living right there. And so I took my two scales. This was about six months ago. I took my two scales and I just put them under my bed. I was like, let's just let's just try something new here. let's Let's start my days without that feeling of just being defeated. Right. Let's start that. So, for anybody listening, put your scale under your bed for a week and 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 see how it feels. See how that works for you. You can always put your scale back, right? If you if you feel like you need to keep that white knuckle grip on your scale, but perhaps you're going to gain something by taking that scale away. Yeah, I I think I love that story, and I it was so
1: smart of you to. Time time box it because it can be like. I mean, I talked about how scary it is to give up calorie counting. Like, it's also very, very scary to decide not to weigh yourself because it feels like this is the thing that's keeping you in line. Um, and so, like, treating it as an experiment with it with a time limit on it is like a very good way to dip your toes into the water. Hmm.
0: So, I'd love to talk to you just for a minute or so about body image. I mean, we've touched on it in our conversation, but. I feel as though the media and as though just our culture in general teaches us something about body image from a very young age. I've been starting to see it now in my seven-year-old, and it is scary and painful to see how, as her self-awareness grows, her her white-knuckle grip on eating and movement is starting to form. In 2021, is it possible for women to like have a healthy relationship with food and here's the key really learn to love our imperfect bodies? And I'm asking that because I feel as though women are our value is in our beauty, in our appearance. And we might not necessarily feel so good about ourselves on the inside. So can we learn to in- love ourselves despite our imperfections in a culture that really tends to only value the skinny and the beautiful?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're all on a journey with this, right? And I will say that like as as heartsick as it makes me to learn that you're you're seeing this in your seven year olds, like I do I do think that so I, I'm a I'm an elder millennial. I do think that younger millennials Gen Z, I think that they're getting better at this. I see it in sort of their, their rejection of some of the ways that we grew up re- learning to relate to food. But it's – as you said, it the problem isn't really in what we actually look like, right? The problem is in the way that we are taught that that is our worth. And look, like in a perfect world, we would stop getting that message. And our kids would grow up and flourish without that. And I think that that's happening a little bit more, but, but it's also just true. Like to be thin, to be beautiful buys you privilege. And so I, I want to just, I always preface every conversation about the stuff with that because I think that like as someone that was grappling with weight and trying to navigate my way through diet culture and anti-diet culture, I felt a little gaslighted. Like I was just like, wait a second though, but like I am treated differently at 300 pounds and then I lost that weight and I really saw it, like I really felt the difference. But what I also found was like, okay, I had all of this anxiety at at 300 pounds about being accepted, about being thought smart, about being taken seriously. And then I lost 150 pounds and those fears and like sense of not being accepted, that all persisted. And now instead of obsessing about the size of my body – well, honestly, I was still obsessing about the size of my body. That's still something I'm unlearning. But on top of that, I had now extra skin to worry about and like all all sorts of new problems. And I realized like, oh my gosh, this is whack-a-mole. I'm just playing whack-a-mole here (laughs) with like my body anxieties. And now as I'm starting to get older and, and like move out of young adulthood, Into just regular middle age, I am feeling this again. Like the march of time waits for no man. And if you are thin and if you are beautiful, like it's just, it's just a matter of time until that stops paying dividends for you, especially as a woman. And so it really like it became so clear to me that this is a project not of loving my body as it is, because that's so temporary, right? The body I can learn to love right now is gonna be different in tomorrow in 10 years, but about recognizing that my body is one part of the experience, the diverse experience of being a human being and that it's pretty normal. My body is pretty normal in the same way that all of us are struggling with our sense of our bodies and our relationship to food. like. Thin, beautiful people represent this like teeny tiny segment of the population. So, not only is my body normal, but I've just got like a whole life to live outside of that. And when you can kind sort of start to bring your sense of self worth, I think of it as recentering like your appearance is something outside of you that you have, you know some control over but not a ton of control over. If you can bring your sense of self-worth back inside of you and start to recognize that like what I look like and even what my body is capable of is only one part of my experience, like that's actually how you start to find body acceptance. Starting with acceptance of what you look like is a bit of a red herring and it's a moving target. And so it's really just you've got to like See that no matter how beautiful or unbeautiful you think you are, there's a lot more going on in your life than
0: just that. That was a little rambling. Did that did that make sense? Oh, that was not rambling and that really just spoke to me. I am and you listeners are and you Sarah are so much more than your outward appearance. Your uh, your appearance, the the physical side to you is a small part of all the qualities that make you up like i am a ridiculously bubbly personality that's a huge part of who i am i am an inquisitive mind i am a hopefully wonderful mother not every day but <laughs> <laughs> like the way you frame the 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 problem really is just to take off the emphasis on the physical and remember and remind yourself that even though our culture inflates physicality it's importance. The reality is that's just one of many factors that go into the complexity that is each and every one of us. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I think that that's right. And and that can be, right, there's, there's always this gap between what we can understand intellectually and what we feel emotionally. Um, and most of this is not something that's going to come from, I, th- I think I've said this before in this interview, I call it top down, right? We as a society love to intellectualize and then can't understand when our behavior and emotions don't follow. But that's because that's not really how brains and bodies work. And so we can understand this intellectually that I my experience is diverse, what makes me up is complex. But Don't feel bad if you're like, okay, I get it, but I look in the mirror and I have this like incredibly intense self-critic, this really mean self-talk. Like that. that is too normal. And that's really where this like I am normal becomes so important because that's what hits us emotionally because what we're after is a sense of belonging. And if you realize like, oh, this is just – a normal part of the human experience in the 21st century. And I look to my left and I look to my right and this narrative is playing in everyone's heads. Like that is the part that can really start to touch our emotions. And then the beautiful thing is that once we get used to being normal, then we can start accessing gratitude. (laughs) Um, Then we can start to feel good about what our bodies can do and maybe what they look like. But I just want to bring this bell again. Like if you're struggling, with this difference between what you understand intellectually and what you're feeling emotionally. No, you are normal. And that all of this is very, very normal reaction to the society that we're living in. You can live a different way, but it's not going to happen overnight. And you are okay. You are normal. This is normal.
0: I'll always love to give tangible takeaways for listeners to start to work on in their own lives. You mentioned, you know, what can we do right now? We can Remember that we're all struggling, skinny, overweight, somewhere in the middle. We're all, women, most of us are struggling. And if you're not struggling, if you, if you are a listener listening right now and you're not struggling and you're saying, what the heck is Sarah and Stephanie talking about? I want to hear from you. But okay, so know that these struggles are normal. Almost all of us are facing them. Remember that... Our physical appearance is just one of the many aspects that make us who we are. It's not the most important. It's just one of many. Are there any other things that listeners should remember or do right now to start to heal their less than stellar relationships with food and body image?
1: Yeah, I think just that self-acceptance is the first step and it can feel It can feel really scary to go there, but to remember that it is not about um, self-acceptance and approval are not the same thing. You don't have to say, I don't ever want to, self-acceptance does not mean I never want to change or there's no problem with what's happening. It's more about this is what's happening for me right now. It doesn't make me a bad person. What do I want to do moving forward? And so I think like wherever you are on your journey with this stuff, if you just downloaded Weight Watchers and you are ready to go with their point system, like bring that with you. I'm just a human. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm trying something new here. And if you're ready to like say goodbye to that system, um, this is a great foundational place to start with that too. And I, and I do want to just – something we haven't touched on, Stephanie, but I think it's like always – Worth saying when we have these kinds of conversations is that absent from the absent from so much of the anti diet conversation, the health at every size conversation, the body positivity conversation. um, But I think that really must be said is that you're not crazy for feeling like there's a problem. You, If you want, have a desire to change your body, if you have a desire to change the way that you eat, I am not sitting here telling you that your job here is to just accept the status quo. And I think that that gets lost a little bit. But what I am here telling you is that like, maybe you want to try a different way. Think about how well hyper-restrictive diets have worked for you in the past. Think about how well weighing yourself every day has worked for you in the past. And just ask yourself like is it worth trying a new way forward and just seeing how it goes and so that's like I I just want to offer that like because it can really sound like the message is just nothing bad is happening to you this is all in your head you should be happy with your health and I think like it's not that it's more about how like an approach based in self compassion is going to result in in more permanent change. And so, if what you really want is to have a better time, to have a better experience, starting there is the way to go.
0: Hmm. Well, that's a great transition into discussing wavelength. I'm wondering if you can tell us, you know, who wavelength is right for, and what problems you're trying to solve with the app. Yeah. So I think Wavelength
1: is really for people that are done – have recognizing themselves a futility with yo-yo dieting. They are tired of basically living the same pattern over and over again, which is that they're good at dieting for some amount of time, whether it's a day or a week or even a couple years. But there's like a recognition that it's not ultimately sustainable. Wavelength is for you. It's also for you if you – are trying to figure out how to navigate this social morass that we're all in of like wanting to change, but also wanting to love yourself more. Wavelength is for you. Uh, you can find us in uh both app stores. But if you visit us at ww.wavelength.live backslash minimal, we'll have a 20% discount for you there. And we're gonna walk you through this like step by step process of unhooking from the shame, unhooking from the Self blame and building sustainable, healthy eating habits and a sustainable relationship to to your body from the ground up. Um, yeah, and so I think if you're if you're ready for something new, <laughs> come find us.
0: <laughs> well, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. I've really learned a lot. I've gained a lot of perspective on my own struggles, and so I just want to thank you for putting something into the world for the greater good. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Stephanie. It means means the world to hear you say that.
0: Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my chat with Sarah Stites, founder of Wavelength. I've linked to Wavelength as well as some other goodies in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 195. Now, on next week's show, we are taking the food conversation and we're putting a twist on it. We're looking at the subject through a different lens, and we're specifically looking about from a health perspective, from a holistic health perspective, I should say, what should we not be eating and why? I'll talk to an author all about that. Now, I should say your questions, your audio questions are coming in, and so if you've left me one, have no fear. I'm working on them. Thank you to all of you who have left podcast reviews on Apple Podcasts in the last week. I see them. I read them. I love them. I appreciate you. I will see you next week and have an amazing week. Take care.
1: Swimsuit. Check. Sunscreen. Check. Phone charger. Check.